Luis Elizondo is a former U.S. Army counterintelligence special agent who became director of Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program in the U.S., what is commonly known as ATIP. Upon joining ATIP, he was an out-and-out sceptic when it came to UAPs and UFOs, but upon leaving, he became one of the most vehement voices for disclosure in the U.S. today. But is he just doing it for attention and money, as some claim? Or was he even director of ATIP, as others have called into question? Join myself and Neil here on Aliens Explored, as we discuss the life and work of Luis Elizondo. And a huge thank you to our Explorer of the Week, allowing us to talk about Luis... Jonathan Perner. Uh, Jonathan is one of our Patreon patrons who has subscribed at a tier which gets him a mention periodically as Explorer of the Week. It is thanks to our Patreons that we are able to continue doing this series. So thank you to Jonathan and all our Patreon patrons. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Hello, listeners, and welcome to Aliens Explored, your weekly podcast looking at those mysterious lights in the sky, those mysterious visitations, and those mysterious people involved in covering it all up. Um, <laughs> one of your hosts, Neil Kelly. And I'm your other host, Stu Jackson. Hopefully, hopefully we're trying to uncover stuff, though, that people might have covered up. Well, that's 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 why we've got to uncover it, isn't it? Because someone's covered it up. Yep, it happens Someone, a Someone's lot. not been... T- well, we... Th- <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go with you up to a point on that one, what's, what's been covered up. Oh, dear me. How are you keeping, Neil? Are you over your COVID now? Um, I, I think so. Janet keeps telling me off for coughing all the time. That's right. That's wife. And says, I probably don't realise how much I'm doing it. And I said, like, well, I've had COVID. That's why I'm coughing all the time. <laughs> But yeah, um, it it wasn't that bad. I mean, I was because I do this. I'm doing an acting job, which requires the use of my voice, and I started coming down with a sore throat um, one day. And I thought, well, perhaps I've just overdone it. I didn't do a proper warm up, and I've had lots of work to do, and yeah, lots of shows to start. And um, 
And I thought, yeah, I've just strained myself a bit. And then that night, I, you know, it was like swallowing razor blades. Mm. And it's always, when your throat's that sort, you seem to always need to be swallowing all the time. Yes. So, yeah. And so I, I and, and I didn't have a voice. I just couldn't make myself heard. So I called in sick. And then it was the day after that that um, I, t- I tested positive. But you mm. know, so it's just five days isolation now. And um, by that time, my throat was better. And, um, I'm back to work, but some of the some of the younger people, some of the younger, fitter people than me, have gone down with COVID and been off for much longer with it. Mm. I got I got off lightly, I think. Mm. Well, this was your. You think it was your second bout, wasn't it? I think so. I think I had a bout very early on, back before there were any tests available. So I can only presume. You know, I had something, and it, it left me with this cough that went on for weeks. So I think it was, but I mean, I've had the three jabs. I think I'm being offered a fourth one in 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 the autumn, in September, October, the fall, for the fall for our American uh, listeners. Um, yeah, so you know, hopefully that means I've I've built up antibodies now, having had another little bout and gotten over it. Um, the trouble is with the different variants. I don't well, yeah. know if that's quite how it works. I don't, I don't want to be a foot down the right. No, I know. You, um, yeah, all but it has, we do need to be careful. All it has to do is mutate again, and um, yeah, then suddenly I'm not yeah. invulnerable anymore. No, that's yeah. it. And uh, and the, there's a lot of people going down with it at the moment. I mean, cases here in the UK are going up very dramatically at the moment, as we know. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, so I was so earlier in the year um I was looking to do a show in Edinburgh Fringe which is oh. actually as this show goes out uh Edinburgh Fringe will be m- most of the way through uh, as it goes wow. public this show um, mm. so yeah but uh, as we're recording Edinburgh Fringe has not quite started yet but I was originally down to do a play in Edinburgh Fringe, and I, I pulled out like I pulled out very very early on, and it's not something as an actor you'll know, Neil. That is not something you mm. do lightly at all, because mm. you get blackballed and and you know castigated and you know seen as unreliable in the industry. Yeah, it, it can be quite yeah. devastating to do that. But I I did. I mean, I I spoke to the director who, fortunately, is a friend. Um, and I sort of mm. explained basically I didn't feel comfortable because of COVID, the COVID situation and not knowing how it was going to be. This was right at the beginning of the year. Um, mm. Well, that director has now gone down with COVID and uh, quite badly. Um, so that's putting that whole thing in a big question mark so, over it. And uh, hope you feel better soon, Joan, if you're listening. I know Joan has, has listened to, <laughs> to some of these. Mm. So. Uh, yeah, if you're listening, I hope you feel better soon, and I hope Edinburgh Fringe has gone ahead and gone well. I, I hope so. Yeah, it's it's been for a lot of criticism this year. I mean, it is the premier arts festival in the UK, probably, but um, yeah, people possibly are, in the world, possibly in the world, and because um, there's been a lot of talk this year about well, it's not what it was. It's become very corporate. It's become very very expensive. There's a shortage of accommodation, so landlords are coining it in and. You know, it's it's. I, I remember someone saying to me that Edin, the Edinburgh Festival is the cure for if you you're worried that you've got too much money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, having having put on a show, I, I've produced and directed a show that I mm. and I was in it as well, and I can't mm. it. Um, but I um, 
<laughs> having produced a show that yes i can definitely attest that but Ooh. here's the thing what they don't huh, i i've i've seen an article in um the edinburgh evening news talking mm. about how terrible it is that oh all these artists they're all like charging a lot for their ticket prices but they don't talk about you know the airbnbs like which is the one of the cheapest ways to stay there, of course, mm. is like a thousand pounds a week yeah. for an Airbnb. It's ridiculous money in Edinburgh. They don't talk about like the huge, insane costs that the venues charge. Uh, you know, forty seat mm. a venue, and you're talking thousands and thousands of pounds. Um, you know, yeah. basically a, a small show. If you sell mm. out, you're lucky if you break even. Mm. You know, uh, they don't talk about that. But anyway, that's a whole. Oh, you're yeah, getting I, on the soapbox now, Neil. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, obviously, obviously, a lot of big stars will go there. A lot of a lot of well-known names will go up to Edinburgh, and they will. Yeah, you know, they're they're fine. They're, they're guaranteed to get their audiences. Um, but I they, think they have a different arrangement. They are paid by the venues to to be there. Yeah, to go there. So yeah. so they're getting a set amount. The venues know that they're getting the ticket money in. So you know mm. that's all fine. But when you're not a name, yeah, yeah, it's it's basically it. It we did really really well with our show, mm. um, really well. It it it, we, it wasn't quite sell out, but it still cost thousands mm. you know to 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 put it on up there now i'm really glad i did it was an amazing experience yeah. but you know and, and when you do something like that you sink your money you, you basically you treat it as lost money before you even sell a ticket yeah um uh, you know you don't you don't put a show on the next and, and I've, I've seen it happen where artists will say Oh, I I really hope I sell more tickets because I've spent my rent to get something. <laughs> yeah, know? it's like oh, uh, no, 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 don't ever do that. Only spe- only ever put a show on there if you've basically got nothing else to do with the money. But I can see you think this this could be my big break. This is my last chance. You know, it happens. A, a, a lot of it, a lot of pe- a lot of people spend an awful lot of money to go to Hollywood. Yeah, and try and break mm-hmm. in, and they'll they'll have a. They'll, they'll have a blitz, a tour of all the agents. I mean, there there are agencies in the UK that are just yeah, just geared to take. Well, you got to find your own way out to Hollywood. Got to find your own accommodation, mm. um, rent a car or something, or buy a cheap car, and then they'll, they'll arrange some auditions or some visits to casting directors. But I don't have any faith in that. They have things like that here. They meet the casting directors, and it's yeah, nothing comes of it. No, no. I mean, yeah. extremely, extremely rarely does anything. It, mm. You hear the stories, but it's like it's one in ten thousand. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we've we've digressed. Really we we, have to, we haven't again. even mentioned. We're nearly ten minutes in. We haven't even mentioned what it is we're here to D- discuss. Despite the fact that with my welcome, I did almost see into it about those mysterious <laughs> people involved in covering it all up. And of course, we're going to talk about one of those people today, a, a guy called uh, Luis Elizondo, who was involved in covering all up and, and now apparently wants to bring it all out in the open. Well, I mean, it's interesting you've you've put it that way. Um, so, to give uh, listeners who who might not have heard of uh, of Lou before uh, a little bit of background, this is a former U.S. Army counterintelligence special agent. 
mm. who went on to become um, director of what we generally call ATIP, um, mm. the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Now, mm. This is one of the government's um, committees looking into basically UFOs, like you know, and, and UAPs mm. and technologies in the skies, and is it a threat? Mm. Um, so he was director of that. Now, when he became director of ATIP, he was he was an out and out skeptic. Hmm. Well, he he did actually say that um, um, he, he he was recruited. Yeah, he he, he said that he, he um, where where was it? He, he, I mean, all the stuff he was he was he was dealing with. Um, I mean, he dealt with stuff like coups, coups d'état in black black market terrorism, drug cartels, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he told a reporter that he might have been selected for ATIP because of his scientific background. I mean, he's got um, a science-based degrees. Um, he, his work as a counterintelligence agent protecting American aerospace technology and his distinct lack of interest in science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this wasn't a guy um, prone to flights of fancy. No, this is... and. An- you know, he certainly said in many interviews. You know, he, he hmm. when he became yeah director of ATI, yeah, he was he was very skeptical about UFOs. He didn't believe that there was, you know, he believed that there was a rational explanation for the whole lot of it. Hmm. Now he's come out the other side of that, on the absolute opposite end of that spectrum. <laughs> Convinced so, that. Um... Well, you would think he, yeah. You know, if if anything was being covered up, he'd be in on it, wouldn't he? He'd be. Well, he he, he kind of he was and still is to a degree uh, because mm. when you see him in interview, he I, I find him an absolute fascinating chap to watch in interviews. Mm. He's he's been described as a whistleblower, but I don't think that's an accurate term for him because. Whenever he talks, he will say quite candidly, "There are things I can't talk about." And, yeah, that's, and he'll, that's, he'll that's not what whistleblowers say. Refuse to answer certain questions, um, but he'll say, "But what I can talk about is this that's been made public and that that's been made public." And he mm. might say, "I have the belief that." Um, so, so for example, when uh, I saw one particular interview of him where he was asked the direct question. Does he believe or does he know that hmm. the government um, have a crashed UFO? And hmm. he, he, he gave this really long, thoughtful pause and he said, I can't answer that directly, but what I can tell you is that I believe that the government has exotic materials. So he couldn't say, I don't know. If they have got one, they haven't told me about it. They he certainly didn't say, I don't know. I mean, he was in a position to know mm. as director well, no, well, It sounds surely. like he wasn't in a position to know. It sounds like he, you know, he, he wasn't in the loop for that kind of thing. As director of ATIP? Well, and even that's had some doubt cast upon it, hasn't it? Some people have said they couldn't find any evidence that he was director of ATIP. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Now, I mentioned this in my speculation video. Uh, mm. is that I had a feeling this might crop up. Um, 
Yeah. Yes, but the whole discrediting people who are public hmm. about things, who encourage disclosure, is not a new hmm. thing, is it? Um, a Pentagon spokesperson, Christopher Sherwood, um, said... Mr. Elizondo had no responsibilities with regard to the ATIP program while he worked in um, the Office of Undersecretary of Defence for Intelligence up until the time he resigned. So, you know, the, I mean, the thing about the intelligence services is, of course, they, they, they keep their cards very close to the chest and um, they won't even tell you stuff that they're allowed to tell you if they can avoid it. And, and of course, you can't do that. Well, so if if that were the case, why hmm. haven't they sued him? Um, why haven't they taken but, him to court? Um, because if they did, that would give credibility to his story. <coughs> as 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 Julian Assange has um has said, um, if if I wasn't telling the truth, they wouldn't be trying to shut me up. If if I was just a fantasist making this stuff up, they wouldn't care. And um, yeah, people would eventually come to their own conclusion that I'm a fantasist. So, um, but again, it, it, with with the intelligence services, special forces, all these exotic branches of government, you can't submit a freedom of information request about anything. You can't ask the Pentagon if he was the head of ATIP or worked for ATIP because they won't tell you, and they'll tell you they're not obliged to um, divulge that sort of information. Well, it's not like ATIP itself was a secret department. They were a very public department. Mm. And all the documentation shows that he was director of them at that time. Um, but I bet there was secret stuff within that department. I bet there was Absolutely. people, people um, who weren't officially working for ATIP who actually were in reality you know it's, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're through the looking glass here mate no, you know, I, we're, I, we're in the we're in the world of intelligence I, and um, and I, everyone's lying i'm looking specifically at what you said that this guy from the pentagon has said and i'm saying that at mm. the time there was public documentation coming out from a tip with mm. luis elizondo's name on it okay so yeah, I absolutely agree. There will have been people associated with ATIP who will never know the mm. names of, but mm. this is the opposite of that. This is, no, very publicly. He was director of it. Okay. But there are people saying he wasn't. Yeah, but that's not a new thing, and it's, not, mm. it's certainly not a new yeah. thing for us to discuss um, on this show. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, he went on television, didn't he? He went on to a programme called Unidentified. Oh, he's been on lots of, lots of programmes. Inside America's UFO investigation in 2017. Um, yeah, and he gets, yeah, they have all these shots of him sort of peering through the curtains and looking like, yeah, like, looking like he's looking out for the men in black who are coming to, coming to take him away or take him out. Yeah, he does strike me as quite a paranoid person. Mm. Um, certainly, you, you hear about him meeting for people, like meeting people for coffee to to be interviewed or what have you. Mm. And he'll sit with his back to the wall where he can keep an eye on the door and yeah. you know, and, and things like that. But I don't know if that's just a project, a, a, a product 
of him being in counterintelligence in the first place. Um, I mean, you, you, well, intelligence services, you've worked in intelligence services mm. uh, within uh, armed forces. I mean, does it produce a little bit of paranoia and always watching for threats? Um, that kind of behaviour, saying, oh, I've got to sit with my back to the wall, I've got to keep my eye on the door because you don't know who comes through, like, like Will, Wild Bill Hickok, that, that's kind of, that's Walter Mitty kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, we've got to, this is a real secret and, you know, my life's in danger and you know, the government's terrified of me and they're, they're going to hunt me down. Um, no, I mean, if you, were, if you were operational and you were you were meeting someone to for whatever reason to pass off information or to collect information, you would have a team with you keeping lookout so that you can just relax and, and concentrate on getting the information or delivering the information. You would have other people doing that. You wouldn't be sort of back to the wall. Yeah, I've got to, you know, and, yeah, but and he doesn't talk, have a talk, team now. And talking, no, he doesn't. But all the, you know, talking in euphemisms and, and what have you. It's, um, I don't know. It, it all sounds a bit playing at it. Let's play at spies. Let's see. I'm thinking about the the the, the, the I, as, as you know, Neil. I occasionally do a security job with a lot of ex-military intelligence people. Mm. And these are people who spent like basically most of their lives until they retired in, in the army mm. in special operations stuff. Mm. And actually there's an element of that with them. The way I, I'm thinking about like when I've sat with them in a restaurant or, you know, in the bar of a, the hotel we're staying in or things like that. Yeah, they, they, now I'm thinking about it. They always sit where they can keep an eye on the doors on the, maybe that's just a coincidence. I mean, it I suppose they, a lot. They, they will develop habits of, you know, checking who's in the room, checking where the exits are, things like that. But, um, yeah, but all, all this sort of sneaky beaky peering through the curtains. I mean, all, all the all the stuff on TV that was all done for just effect. You know, it's you sure? Yeah, and and speaking in euphemisms, all that. You know, either tell me what you got to fucking tell me, or don't. But don't say, well, you know, if you know what I mean, like you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, all that sort of stuff. I can't well, he, tell you this, but let's put it this way, you know. Well, he's being very careful. Is Luis Elizondo not to? I mean, obviously, you've got the American version of the Official Secrets Act mm. that he will have signed, um, and he is very careful not to breach that. He is very careful mm. about what he says and what he doesn't say, and I don't think it's so much like if you know what I mean. It's more he, he just says, "Well, I can't talk about that, but what I can tell you about is this thing that was made public." And here's why that's particularly interesting, and you know, and he can, and he often says, "I've seen more interesting things than that," but I'm just not allowed to talk about them. Yeah, and yet there he is talking about it. I mean, well, no, he's if, not. If you look he, at- he, all he's saying is, "I have seen more interesting things, but I can't talk about them." Yeah, but even saying that, that's opening your, you know, that's if you. It, you protect information by not even p- making people realise that information exists, or certainly not that you know what. If, if you say, well, there's this big secret and I know it, but I can't tell you, well, someone will try and get that out of you somehow. 
that you're, you're opening yourself up. You're making yourself a target. And um, also, um, the, the kind of official secrets act that you sign is really vague. I mean, the, the, what we signed in the military, which is part two of the official secrets act, it pretty much says you cannot tell anyone anything about anything ever for the rest of your life. They could get you for anything. So there's none of this, well, I can tell you about this, but I can't tell you about that. No, you know, they'll get you for it. It's, they they it... could come after me, even though I'm talking about, you know, sometimes I talk about stuff that I did, but it was it was over 30 years ago, nearly 40 years ago. And, hmm. but, and you know, the technology doesn't exist. The world has changed, but they, they still might decide that something was is still, oh, no, that's still a secret. We, we haven't released that information. Um, am I going to do you under the Official Secrets Act for it? If they can be, if they can be asked, if they can assess that some kind of damage. They, in fact, they, I think when when you're talking about intelligence services, they don't even have to show that any damage has been done because they can say, "Oh well, you know, we can't divulge that because it's a secret." Mm-hmm. It, it's you know, we 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 can't tell you why we're prosecuting you because it's a secret. But you've divulged a secret. What secret? Well, we can't say that because it's a secret. Is it possible, yeah, though, yeah, that no. obviously we're talking about the U.S. Army um, mm. as opposed to the MOD? Um, mm. Is it is it possible that in their version of that official secrets that there is a clause in there saying unless it's in the public domain, unless we have made mm. it public? No, because um, a lot of the stuff I dealt with in Army Intelligence, and they say it's a long time ago. Maybe they're going to come after me for this, or maybe they're not. A lot of the stuff that we saw that with you know that was on documents stamped secret and top secret, well, but this information is in the public domain, and we we're told, yeah, but people won't necessarily have made the connection between this and this. even though these two bits of information are in the public domain, um, they won't know that there's a connection and they won't know where you obtained it from, because that was a big secret as well. Who we're listening to, who we're spying on, not not just the information itself, where we got it from. That's the big secret. Well, I'll, gi- I'll give you an example of something that, that Lou has talked about quite publicly, mm. is the videos released in the last couple of years by the Pentagon mm. uh, from the USS Nimitz. Yeah. You know, the tic-tac-toe, the gimbal. Yeah. Um, those videos. He's talked about those. Now, I'm I'm trying to think of a situation whereby if he looks at the video and he comments solely on the content of the video that has been made public by the Pentagon, mm. how can they possibly get him under the Official Secrets Act? Um, because he could be, to, I mean, talking about the content of the video, if he just says, well, yes, that's that's a light travelling from right to left across the screen. Um, okay, but if he starts talking about what kind of aircraft and what kind of camera and what, you know, what kind of speeds it was going, information that, that isn't readily discernible from just watching the video, yeah, yeah you're in the zone there. You're, you're divulging military secrets and military well, capabilities. It- he, he he talks about some interesting things when he looks at it. So he'll talk more mm. about so the pilot who, you know, publicly we know who the pilot is. Um, you know, the mm. pilot was trained in XYZ, you know, he was trained to identify mm. aircraft at twenty miles away and trained whether mm. or not to, you know, pull the button and fire on that target. Mm. Um, you know, that's the level of training of that pilot and here's what he's reporting. Mm. Um, 
But that's mm. all public information. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, he's trained to, to differentiate between friendly and enemy aircraft, and that's usually by radar signal. You don't rely on on, on naked eye identification. It's not mm-hmm. Second World War where you're looking at the shape, miles. you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. oh, it, it's got those, it's got those distinct squared off wings of a Messerschmitt 109. Yeah, it, no, you know, at 20 miles, you know, you're within range then. <laughs> you know, you've got a missile coming your way. Um, yeah, you, you can't rely on that. But yeah, you're going to see occasion. You know, in this case, they saw they saw some lights that they couldn't identify. Okay, so uh, it sounds to me like you're skeptical. I'm skeptical about, about this guy who, yeah, he's ex-military. I don't know what kind of um, circumstances he's in now. His, his financial, his life circumstances, what his mental health situation is like. That's something you always have to look at with ex-military um, because, yeah, because the military does put, military life does put a tremendous strain on people, um, especially if they've been in war zones, especially if they have been involved in, in harming people. Um, I mean, his background comes from, you know, it couldn't be more right-wing Republican. He's a, he's a Cuban-American. He's, his dad, Luis Elizondo III, I presume, so we're talking about Luis Elizondo IV now. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, was, he was a Cuban exile who took part in the, in the Bay of Pigs fiasco back in 1961, whatever. So, you know, Cuban exiles in Miami, they really hate the Democrats because it was JFK who sold them out. Mm. who didn't give them the necessary support and made their invasion a failure. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm just sceptical about a guy like this who was suddenly, suddenly he's going on television and he's acting all sneaky-beaky and, oh, I could tell you this or I could tell you that, but I can't tell you this. And, and I'm, I'm just a bit, yeah. But- my, my, my bullshit detector is, is, is buzzing. So on the contrary, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm looking at the guy from a, obviously a different, very mm. different perspective, um, because I'm seeing someone who, yeah, you know, like you say, absolutely sort of right wing, mm. militaristic, um, you know, all oh, these UFO stuffs bullshit kind mm. of guy, becomes director of this particular program, looking into these things, mm. and goes from being a skeptic to being an absolute believer comes mm. out the other end of this. So he's, he's come out of and away from the military and has become a strong, um, promoter for disclosure. Hmm. And I, I can see how being made aware of some of the things that that's really going on can make someone like that. Um, I would like to see because I just get the impression that he, yeah, he saw he didn't see anything definitive that he could talk about. He couldn't not, talk. Not instance, that he was allowed to talk about. No. Well, he only ever talks about it, things that are in the public domain. So what's the point of that? With already <laughs> talk about stuff we already know. Well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, what he he's could a bring to the table vocal, is something we don't um, already know. No, he's he's a strong vocal proponent for disclosure. 
which we need. Mm. We need as many of those as possible. And someone mm. coming from his background as a strong voice I mean, for I, disclosure, that's that's I, great. That's good. I, I mean, all right. I, I mean, it's a big ask for me to say, okay, put your life on the line and tell us something we don't know. Tell us, tell us this big secret that that's being kept by the by the Pentagon, by the by the Men in Black at Roswell or area. Well, what Wherever. would that achieve? Because it'd just get denied. He'd be accused of making it up. There'd be no way of proving that he didn't. Mm. So well, that's what's that anyway? Isn't it? What's so. that going to? Well, no, he isn't. That's the thing. He isn't being told he's making. Well, except for aspects of his career. Um, mm. the stuff he actually <laughs> talks about is stuff that's public anyway, so yeah, but he's he gives a fresh perspective on it, he gives a, a fresh pair of eyes, but not from the perspective of someone who says, Well, actually, I know this that you know, this is a, a military secret, but relating to this, this issue, like um, reverse engineered crashed alien spaceship technology, um. Yes, I know we've got that, and we've we've used it in you know the the um, the B one bomber has got this that we got from an alien spaceship. But that would um, be breaching his official secrets or whatever. Yeah, but it, it would make him credible. Would it though? Because the Pentagon would just say, "Well, no, that's nonsense. He's making it up." Of course, they unless would. he can prove it, which of course mm. he wouldn't be able to, because it's not like he came out with armfuls of you know. Um, alien, so, alien metals, or <laughs> no? But I mean, looking at the timeline, did he sort of you know, finish it? I mean, when when did he retire? Was it twenty seventeen or thereabouts? Uh, something like, uh, or twenty, or was it earlier? Twenty. Uh, the ATIP program ended in twenty twelve. After five, it only ran for five years, according to the Department of Defense. Mm. So twenty two thousand and seven to two thousand and twelve. Um, um, Elizondo worked from 2008 until his resignation in 2017 with the Office for the Undersecretary of Defence for Intelligence in the Pentagon um, and he was the direct ending in 2012 he was the director of the ATIP but ATIP ended in 2012 so what I'm wondering is did he sort of come out and ponder it and think about it for a long time and then something happened in his life and he you know and then he decided i know i'm going to go public with what i know or or, or was it you know as he was coming towards the end of the, um, you know all this stuff here the public needs to know about this i'm going to take these documents i'm going to take these materials and i'm going to show people uh so he, I mean, retired, that's probably... he retired in 2017 mm. um and from what I'm seeing, essentially, yeah, so while he was working hmm. for effectively the Pentagon, um, hmm. for the government, no, he wasn't coming forward. And then I can see why he wouldn't whilst he's working hmm. for them. And then, yeah, he comes out and he becomes a voice for, like, you've got all this stuff, you, you know things, make it public. I Apparently, he resigns to protest what he characterised as excessive secrecy and internal opposition and asserts that underestimating or ignoring these potential threats is not in the best interest of the department, no matter the level of political contention. So I guess, you know, he's 
working for the ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, he's identified these phenomena as a threat. Mm. Um, but but the government hasn't. Well, in he's interviews, saying, this is a threat. This no, in interviews, he's the first to say, you know, his training teaches him to see everything as a threat or as a potential threat. Well, because that, that was his job. Yeah, yeah. if you work for ATIP, that's. Yeah, that it's in the job title. Mm. Yes. It's in the department name. Yeah, that's what you're there for to to look at these things and and you know try and work out if this is anything that could threaten us. And, and, and often, as we've seen, that the main concern is that a potential advers- terrestrial adversary like China or Russia has suddenly made a technological leap um, to the extent that they can now violate U.S. airspace with impunity. Yeah. And, you know, he said that was like the first thing they looked at was, well, the first thing they looked at was, is it our own secret technology? And he said he Mm. had access to all of the the latest stuff that the government was doing. So they ruled that out. Then the next biggest thing is, well, is it a foreign, you know, um, agency coming in? And no, they ruled that one out. Well, what's left? I mean, knowing how government departments work, especially with classified material, I can imagine that he asked the first question, is this something of ours? And the answer he gets is, well, we're not allowed to tell you because it's a secret. No, he he was very candid. He had full access to all of the the latest Okay, He's he's been very candid about that. So he would have seen things... Not that he asked the question, just he had access. He had access, so he would have quickly known if, Mm. if... something that's been spotted in the skies because we i mean we've we've talked earlier about how the u.s government would would encourage people to make these ufo calls while they were testing new yeah. kinds of aircraft because um it, it, it acted as a smoke screen yeah yeah, yeah. So, so this guy says he saw this flying saucer well yeah but we know that he's a local nut job so who's going to pay attention to that <laughs> it was our it was our flying saucer our new our new but- bomber but when saw. you're talking about um, vehicles that go from 80,000 feet to a few feet in a matter of seconds, hovers about mm. for a bit, then shoots back up to 80,000 feet again, we don't mm. have the same, we, we don't have anything that could produce the energy required to do that. No. We can only do that with a beam of light. No. And Nothing's that more substantial is than that. the level of technology that we're talking about with with Pentagon released UFO mm. footage. So, anyway, but yeah. So it seems like we're, uh, we're on opposite sides of the fence with regards to Lou. Then um, we are, yeah. But what do you think, listeners? Is Neil right? Is there something? Is is the guy just an opportunist, perhaps, who's looking to make some mm. some bucks from the UFO community, or am I closer to the truth and the guy's just genuinely wanting disclosure? Um, and, and I should or, say, if if he is an opportunist, good on him, good on you, Lewis, <laughs> because there, there's a lot of public interest in this kind of thing. And if you're just doing this, you know, people will watch these shows for entertainment, and you're entertaining them if nothing else. No, I would I would be <laughs> very angry if that were the case because um, people who do these things when they are not genuine that obfuscates the actual 
proper research hmm. going on and it puts us back and uh, hmm. it only does damage to this area of research. But anyway, listeners, let us know what you think about uh, Luis Elizondo. Um, you know, is, is it somewhere in the middle? Is, is the guy just genuinely wanting disclosure and hoping to make a few bucks out of it? Perhaps I mm. can see that potentially. Uh, but yeah, let us know what you think via the usual means. You can email us aliensexplored at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Aliens Explored. Or if you join our Patreon program at any level, you get exclusive access to our Discord server where you can chat about this and any other topic we discuss on the show with like-minded people. And you get some. And also, Lewis, if you're listening, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love you on the show. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Open invitation right there. Mm. Anyway. Join us next time, though, as we will be going back in time, Neil, over Mm. 70 years, back to 1950, and the British government's flying saucer, can't even say it right, flying saucer working party. That's such a British title, (laughs) isn't it? The men from the ministry, yeah. Uh, But this is the group that briefed Winston Churchill all about UFOs. Mm. So we'll be hearing what they had to say next week. In the meantime, keep watching for all kinds of disclosure coming from anywhere. And of course, keep watching the skins. Take and care keep, watch, now. keep watching those television programs. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Aliens Explored is a Fecal Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter or Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit us on aliensexplored.com. <laughs>